Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. And what is up, everybody? Another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast coming at you, and today we are talking ground and pound deer hunting because me and Jacob both have been participating in a little bit of ground hunting for whitetails, and uh, somebody launched an arrow. But before we get to all that, Jacob, what you up to tonight, man? Dude, just uh, hanging out. Uh, got a little bit of football in the background. I uh, got a black and tan sitting beside me and a little bit of Blanton, so it's gonna be a pretty good evening i think <laughs> what's going on i was gonna say what's going on over there with you <laughs> yeah guys yeah, right. yeah. there's a there's a bunch of people over which if you hear background noise that's the bunch of people over waiting for me to get done recording this so, so i can go out there and play some game with them or something so guys check this out andrew's such a great host he invites a whole bunch of people over to hang out and then has to leave to go record a podcast and they're waiting that on is him. definitely not what happens <laughs> I mean, what kind of host is that? I'm like, oh, man. 
Mm. A guy who uh, – it's a host who runs a podcast, I guess. I, I guess, dude. I mean, you know, you got to have priorities. Too bad uh, – I'm going to guess. Is Tiffany over there? Yes, she is. Oh, I'm sure she's happy now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, she, she knows what i got to do. Listen, listen, guys. Andrew lives in the doghouse, it seems. So, no. it's just it's – just, <laughs> We're just rolling with it. <laughs> no, come on, man. <laughs> See, does, does Tiffany even listen to the podcast? Um, Every once in a while she does. Okay. It's kind of dangerous because it's like we joke around on here, but I don't know when she's going to listen. Uh, well, but w- that one we did with Richard Fott, she was like, hey, that one you just released is really good. That actually kind of made me want to go hunting. I was like, you you, uh, you listen to that? Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny, dude. No, I just have to send her a link to this one once we release it tomorrow. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, sh- she'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, but she went squirrel hunting with me the other day. And yeah, well, let's talk about that. So now, was that the that wasn't the day that you met up with Zach, was it? No. Negatory. Gotcha. Uh, this was a, a. I went down there to Troy, which is where she's currently living, and uh, I can't remember what we had to do. We had to do something, but uh, while we were down there, I was like, hey, you want to get up in the morning and uh, go over that little Forever Wild track and squirrel hunt? And she was like, yeah, okay. So we got up, went over there, and you know, it was more of a, a day of just kind of exploring the woods more than it was hunting. I did manage to kill a squirrel, but really most of the time was spent like looking at the native plants and everything and like we found this one area with like a bunch of spider webs all these big giant banana spiders in them and it, it was just kind of cool i mean it, it, it was like more of like a exploring nature kind of thing but she was really into it so still kind of slowly introducing her into our world hmm okay well as long as she kind of enjoyed it i guess that's good uh now talk to us a little bit about the uh squirrel hunt you and uh, zach went on on our little home piece of public land uh, back yeah. home. Yeah, so we uh, yeah, we just went out there and squirrel hunted. So I totally misjudged daylight because I've been, like, running back and forth to Georgia, hunting and everything, and <laughs> I've just been, like, crazy busy lately, man. I've hardly had time to breathe. And I, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but I just totally misjudged when sunrise was. So I was like, all right, meet me, uh, meet me at 5 o'clock. And so we meet up and we drive out to our spot and we get there and we're like, man, what time is sunrise? It's still pretty dark. And turns out we got there like an hour and 10 minutes before first light. <laughs> so we just kind of sat around mingling at the car, like talking. <laughs> we were sitting there talking and I had me my coffee from Jack's. I was looking forward to drinking my coffee. And, you know, it was one of those mornings where you're just like, man, a coffee is going to hit the spot right now. I need a coffee. And we're standing there talking, and some bug starts flying around. Sounds like a daggum helicopter. It's like <laughs> some kind of big giant bug. Dude, this thing like lands on my ear, and trying to whack it off, I drop the coffee, and the coffee just goes like right in Zach's crotch. <laughs> oh man, I felt so bad, and I totally wasted my coffee, which I was pretty tore up about. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, sorry, I threw coffee all over you. He's like, it's okay, it woke me up. Oh man, oh man, God, yeah. Let me go check some burns afterwards. Oh my yeah, gosh. Th- yeah, then we wandered down into the woods and uh, squirrel hunted. We split up, and we ended up coming across quite a few, quite a few squirrels. Which I killed two. He killed three. It was. It was a hard morning. Like, anybody who squirrel hunts knows the kind of morning I'm talking about when I say it was, like, slight. It was, like, a slight windy morning, and a lot of the squirrels were laid up in the feed trees, which basically means, 
you know, you have that slight breeze where everything's kind of swaying around. And, you know, for me at least, still hunting squirrels, I'm finding 90% of them with my ears before my eyes. Like, you'll hear them or you'll see like a limb shake or something like that or you hear them cutting a nut or something. And that's how you find them. Well, with the how it was like real windy and everything, that kind of took that out of the equation. And uh, I don't know, dude, they were just, I spotted like three different squirrels like across the valley and they were just laying on a limb, curled up, just kind of waiting for the wind to die, I guess. So it was really, really hard to stalk them. But we did come away with five, and we had some hens come through, like yelping and doing some, like, kikis and stuff. And I natural voice yelped these hens in. And this this one hen, that like, four of them come by me, and this one hen walks by, and they get out of sight. So I start yelping at them, just, like, natural voice yelping, like, real soft. And this one hen, like, runs up to me, dude. Like, she just d- straight up sprints to me and starts kikiing, like, 20 yards away. And uh, I got it all on film with, like, my nicer camera with the external microphone. So there's pretty good audio of them doing that. So I actually uploaded that on the YouTube channel for anybody who's interested in, like, getting better at turkey calling. There's some uh, pretty unique hen sounds on there. Uh, they're just kind of like hens doing what hens do in the woods, which in the beginning of the video I kind of talk about. That's how you learn to call, dude, because I think in the video, I was like, if you were out here turkey hunting and you heard that and didn't see the hens, you'd be like, man, that guy sucks at calling. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, ever since that Drake song came out, which I don't even listen to Drake, but it's uh, In My Feelings, he's like, Kiki, do you love me, whatever. Every time you said Kiki, I, that's the only thing that popped in my head was him freaking singing that stupid song. So, dude, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, I'll send you, I'll, <laughs> I'll send you a link later on tonight where people are freaking getting out of their cars while the car is moving and dancing to that stupid song. So, yeah. Anyway, well, that sounds interesting. Oh yeah, and especially when, when I think one girl got hit by a car. So, that. Uh, well, I mean, isn't that what usually happens when you like walk across the highway? Yeah. What do you call that? Uh, <laughs> is that Darwin? Get out of your car and start walking down the wrong side of the road. Yeah. Isn't that Darwinism? I'm thinking. Yeah, that that's called natural selection. Loving it, man. Loving it. <laughs> Thinning out the population of people that do not need to be here. Uh, but anyways, dude. Well, that sounds fun. Sounds like you had a good time, uh, except for Zach getting coffee spilt all over him. Um, but that's cool. Now, how did you see much deer sign while y'all were scouting? I mean, while y'all are Yeah, big time. So, I found some of Mr. Richard Fott's feed trees, as he calls them, where there's just so much deer sign underneath that it looks ridiculous. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. But, you know, Alabama, we don't open up until October 15th, so not going to be able to take advantage of those. But now I have a better idea of what he was talking about, so that's good. Um, found a few scrapes, found some, like, fresh scat and everything on some trails, and um, found, most importantly, in my opinion, found some people sign. So we found, uh, like, trail markers. We found a scope cover that somebody had dropped. So that's, you know, little signs like that, you know. I Really, I, I would call it, like, deer sign because that's what I'm trying to find when I'm deer hunting, man. Find the people and then hunt where they're not at. And then we found uh, where there was a little pond down in the woods, like a little natural pond that had dried up. And somebody had went in there and raked it and planted it uh, with, like, throw and grow or something. So that that was important to find too, but the the area it, it looks really good. We're probably going to return to it during the rut and hunt it a little bit. Yeah, and uh, well, you know, speak about the feed trees. I definitely, uh, while hunting this weekend, found 
one of those in, in a spot that was absolutely phenomenal. And I get, we'll talk about that in a little bit too, but uh, you know, that, that's always one thing that I kind of like, you know, I haven't squirrel hunted a whole bunch, but you know, everyone I, I've talked to that does squirrel hunt. I mean, it's just another reason to get out in the woods to really scout out, you know, new territory that you've never been to before. I just kind of see what's going on, which I'll, I'll say now after, you know, having a little taste of uh, ground hunting, a little ground and pound, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to quote unquote scout, you know, from the ground with my bow in my hands, you know, go hit some spots I really want to check out and just kind of hunt my way through there and to see what happens. Because, I mean, I know so many times I've scouted during season without my bow and ran into deer before. Um, so, I think I've come to the conclusion that's not going to happen again. Yeah. And, dude, not to mention squirrel is delicious. And if anybody out there is like, what? Squirrel? It's like a tree rat. Go to the southernoutdoorsman.com, go to the contact page, and say, how do I eat squirrel? And I will send you my recipe. It's delicious. And I promise you won't be disappointed. But get out there, shoot some squirrels, eat them. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay, okay. I'm going to go to the contact page, email you, so you can give me that recipe. <laughs> because I was going to say, the squirrels, uh, the squirrel we got from, um, oh my gosh, uh, Kevin uh, Murphy, when we were up with him, uh, the one I brought back, you know, I, I fried it up and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't anything. I mean, I'd say that was a that was a big old chubby old fox squirrel. Yeah. So they're, they're usually kind of tough, but... Really, a lot of older squirrels are tough, pretty much all of them, and there's certain things you can do to make them a lot more tender. Like, for me personally, I prefer brining them for a few days, Mm -hmm. and if it's like a real old squirrel, and by the way, for my brine, it's like straight up salt water. Like, I just make salty water, (laughs) put the squirrel in it, and I'll leave it in there for like three days, and then if it's like a real old squirrel, and then I'll take them out of the brine, and I'll parboil them, uh, which means you just boil the piss out of it until it's tender (laughs) at least that's what i've done and one thing that i've been doing that actually has turned out really really good is i'll take uh like a big i'll take like eight squirrels or something or i'll I'll gather up a bunch and i'll quarter them out and everything and i won't throw like the whole squirrel in there like i'll split the back legs off and i'll split the front legs off and kind of piece them out and i think steve ranella has a good youtube video on this but I'll, i'll get them like that and throw them in the water, and I'll put like a little bit of onion in there, just like raw white onion, um, bell pepper, like a lot of bell pepper if I got them, jalapenos, and I'll boil them in that water, and then I'll take them out after I've boiled them, and I'll bread them and then fry them, and they're really, really good. So you get that like fried squirrel meat, it's nice and tender from where you boiled it and everything, and then you also got like the undertones, like the pepper and the onion, and it's just, it's really good. Mm, okay. Now you, you're talking about like when you kill you kill an older uh, squirrel, you know that's kind of like how you take care of it. Now, what age class squirrel are you targeting, Andrew? While you're out there hunting? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm going for the four and a half year olds. I only want to harvest mature squirrels. I, I, I'm I'm just saying. <laughs> but you know how to tell if it's a big squirrel, right? I don't know. I mean, if it's like like an old squirrel, if it's a dude, if it's a boy squirrel, he's got some big old freaking nuts on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, I'm serious, he's, man. He's just, I mean, he's just packing a punch, you know. You you haven't been squirrel hunting. My, I'm gonna kill like a big old granddaddy squirrel for you one day, and I'm gonna show him, and you're gonna. I mean, he might put you to shame. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I appreciate that one. The ginger hunter himself getting shot by a squirrel. <laughs> the ginger bow hunter put to shame by a three year old squirrel. That, that would be that'd be horrible, man. 
God. Uh, okay, we need to start talking about deer, man. I think everyone's not listening anymore, but <laughs> whoever's with us, you're a, you're a true listener. I, we love y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what makes. Let's it. talk about deer. Let's talk about deer. Okay. Well, perfect. Well. Before we do that, or I should say, when we start off doing that, you know, I want you to kind of start off with, you know, why, you know, why ground hunting? You know, what kind of gave us the the idea to really do this, to try it out for this year? Okay. Um, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll go through this, and then I want you to question me about my ground hunt first, and then I'll question you, since yours is probably more eventful than mine. Very much so, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why ground hunting? Um, first of all, it's hot, and I don't want to carry a stand around. Uh, that's a pretty good reason. Two, it looked really, 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 really fun. Uh, and for me personally, and I think you too, a lot of these places that we're hunting, we've never really stepped foot on. Like the particular places, I'm, I'm hunting a couple different properties in Georgia, and I've only stepped foot on one of them in the summer to scout it. And the other ones are just straight up, you know, scouting while I'm hunting. And walking through the woods for extremely long distances with a stand on your back sucks. And camera gear and everything because it's heavy and it's like cutting my head off with the stupid straps, you know, like right on your pressure points. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, for me, ground hunting was just kind of a necessity. Like, not saying I'm not going to tree stand hunt this year because I absolutely will, but as far as like especially the first time going into areas mm-hmm. it just makes a lot of sense to go in without one and uh i got like a little leaf suit that i use so for me ground hunting was really just kind of out of necessity where i almost had to do it but when i started doing it i realized how fun it was and i'm gonna end up doing it a heck of a lot more but i'll turn that around on you what do you think why, why did you decide to ground hunt so the reason why I decided to ground hunt was one reason is our buddy Michael Pike uh, from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. You know he, he's had pretty good success hunting off the ground uh, with arch. He killed a buck in Kentucky yep. off the ground. Yeah, with archer equipment. So you know that was something that kind of interested me was just that aspect of it. And then also you know for early season, you know I've had really bad luck early season, just like being able to kill a deer, but even be able to get on deer on public land. Yeah, because you know, they're not they're they're moving. They normally are moving qu- quite a bit, but just because you find a stand of oaks, you know, that are loaded with acorns, don't mean they're coming to feed on those right there. So staying on the ground and constantly kind of easing your way through, you know, working on the wind and everything, you can really do. I think you can do pretty well, uh, and just kind of f- get into these spots that maybe you haven't been before, or also ease into spots on the map that look good. And then take your time there and just see how it goes. And if you find a really good spot that you really want to sit over, you know, some fresh sign, whether maybe it's an oak tree. Like I found an oak tree, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit, that was absolutely just torn up uh, in a big cedar thicket. So, you know, if you want to find a spot like that and set up, that's fine. But, you know, my tactic for going to it is really just trying to stay light on my feet and trying to cover you know, a decent amount of ground. I'm definitely not moving fast by no means. Uh, you know, I, I told you before I got to the point where I shot that doe, the last 50 yards, before I even saw the deer, or the the deer that were out there, uh, you know, I, it took me probably 15 minutes to, you know, go 50, 50 yards or so because uh, I was just going so slow. Um, but it's definitely, I'll say it's definitely something that you have to actually be more mentally, um, I'm not going to say trained, but more mentally prepared on. Because they like, tell yourself, hey, I need to move slow. Don't move super fast so you don't blow anything out. And uh, 
I don't know. It's fascinating, dude. I mean, if you can kill a deer off the ground without a blind, I mean, kind of like Jordan does with turkeys, you know, if you can kill a deer off the ground with archery equipment without a blind, I, I think that's a pretty big feat. And uh, it's one, something I wanted to do and, you know, came close, came very close as we can do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a hard thing to accomplish. And I've killed them off the ground with pretty much everything except a compound bow. I've killed them with, like, crossbows, shotguns, rifles, like, all that stuff off the ground. But shooting them with a bow off the ground is is a different yep. ball game. Agreed. Well, let's let's talk about your hunt a little bit and kind of break down. You know, what was your tactic? Uh, you know, this, this first hunt of the year that you really ground hunted. You know, what was your tactic about you know trying to get in an area that you thought there might be deer? And you know, what were you kind of looking for while you were you know quote unquote still hunting? So, my main goal. When for that first hunt that I did uh, off the ground was uh, first of all I didn't have my stand with me so that was like a big player but also kind of wanted to ground hunt anyways but I was going into this area that was right next to a lake and I just I didn't know what the woods would look like because you know you sometimes when you're next to a river like anybody who's hunted around like big rivers or lakes or whatever sometimes the woodland like the wood line can be like real open and and pretty and you know it'd be not really that good of hunting sometimes it can be super thick sometimes it'll be like big gnarly trees sometimes they'll be like regular trees that are easy to get in you just like never really know so i was planning on going down to the edge of the water and hunting somewhere down there there were some islands that me and you had identified on the map and we're like well i bet those islands have a fair amount of deer sign on them so let's go check them out and uh yeah, I mean, going to those islands, I was just a little worried about taking the stand because I didn't want to haul something way down in there and then really either not be able to use it or end up not wanting to use it and just, like, trying to cover as much ground as possible. Mm-hmm. So I kind of elected to leave it, and I just wanted to cover as much ground as I could, which consisted of, like, just sneaking down the water line uh, next to this island, seeing where the crossings were. Well, one thing I want to touch on first before we kind of get too deep in this is you know, I think certain habitat makes easier and better for still hunting than others. Um, you know, kind of off the bat, you know, where I was hunting, uh, you know, if you're in an area where it's, you know, mature timber with some ground cover, but you can still kind of see, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards, to me, that's pretty good to kind of still hunt if you go slow enough going through there, especially with the light rain or something like I had. But if you're in some some spot, guys, in the southeast, and, you know, any of our public land guys, you probably can relate with this if you've hunted an area like this where it's just choked out with privet hedge or any kind of, like, just dense vegetation, there's really no way to still hunt through that with archery equipment and to be, be in my opinion, be effective. Because if you cannot see past 20 yards or so, I mean, that doe or deer, whatever, or, or hog if you're stalking, you know, it could be so close to you. And it's going to have the leg up on you because of the hearing, smell, and sight and everything. It's going to make it a lot more difficult. Um, I know the guys from the, the hunting public, uh, you know, Zach's had a ton of success hunting off the ground. And it seems like he's doing it in more grassy, kind of swampy areas. And stuff like that where you can kind of see a little yeah. bit farther, I think, would really help you out, be successful. 
but in some of this choked out timber and everything, man, it makes it rough. That's one thing I kind of noticed. There were some spots I was still hunting through. I'm like, man, if I if I see a deer, it's literally going to be in its bed or standing there, and it's probably going to have me pegged before I can see it. So I was just trying to find ears like while walking through the woods until I got out to some more open yeah. stuff. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but. Yeah, I mean, definitely thicker woods are more conducive to it. I mean, if you're walking through wide open timber, I mean, if there's a deer in there, it's going to see you, period. You know, it's it's really the, the whole ground hunting thing, I think, is really only conducive where you either have vegetation or topography to kind of hide you, but also hide the deer because you don't know where they are. And you don't want to be able, you don't necessarily want to be able to see 150 yards mm-hmm. ahead of you because that just makes it that much harder to stalk up on them. Now, if you were rifle hunting, it'd be a different story, but when you're trying to get them in that you know, 30-yard bubble, it, it's a different story. And really, I'm kind of lucky that the area that I wound up ground hunting was kind of thick. I kind of took a gamble, and it definitely wound up being pr- pretty dang thick. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, again, that's kind of, that's kind of my pity, because you definitely, you at least with archery equipment, <clears throat> unless maybe during the rut in the, in the deer, especially the bucks are just really cruising, and trying to cover a lot of ground, I don't know how much success you could really have in super wide open timber. But the, but then again, if you get in too thick of stuff, again, it, it kind of hinders you as well, just because you know you have that concealment factor, but you got a lot more noise going through there. And, you know, I thought about doing the whole ghillie suit thing, but man, there's so many briars out here. I mean, if you have a ghillie suit, you're gonna get tangled up in that crap in a heartbeat, um, especially if it's just a jacket. Like not even doing pants. I mean, just a jacket. Um, that would be it'd be pretty treacherous. But you know, another reason, guys, to look at doing ground hunting in your areas, you know, like like in my example, you know, where I hunted opening day was not where I wanted to go, actually. Um, where I wanted to go, by the time I got there at 5 o'clock, there was already five trucks parked there. And I was kind of surprised by that, but really wasn't. Um, so I decided to go to a secondary location um, and got there, and the wind really wasn't great for that spot. Uh, it was one of those things that... My goal was, you know, the wind was supposed to be like a north-northeast, and I had access from the north. And it was, you know, a piece of property that definitely, you know, there was a chance to bump some deer off there. But what I, my goal was was trying to get far enough down uh, the public land. There was a small creek right there. Get far enough down there and kind of wing, swing back up into the wind on the other side and just, you know, see what would happen. Um, but, again, it's just being versatile. And also, you know, me being me in the last couple of years doing hanging hunts, you know, with my lone wolf stand and everything, you know, early season is a time where if you don't already go in and cut shooting lanes, and if you're hunting anywhere that's not wide open pines or, you know, wide open hardwoods, uh, it's pretty sh- stressful. Not stressful. It's pretty, um, well, I guess you could say it's stressful. You know, you try to hang a stand, and a lot of times you can't get higher than 10, 15 feet at the very most because the, the leaf cover and the foliage is so thick, you can't see anything, uh, at least not very far. And you know, if you're on the if you're on the ground, yeah. though, you can see most times. You know, forty. You can you can see up under. Yeah, exactly, and you can see more. Uh, that's that's classic, dude. My my mentor has a spot just like that <clears throat> on a, which this is private property, so I don't mind saying where it is. But we used to hunt a place um, on Shades Mountain, uh, which anybody in Central Alabama is pretty familiar mm-hmm. with that. Uh, but like Shades Mountain that uh, was right up against Tanny Hill State Park actually and uh, we would uh, he, he had a spot up on Shades Mountain like up on the top of the mountain and there's like a big saddle up there basically and early season he would have to hunt it out of a ground blind 
And then, you know, once the leaves started really coming off, he would bring a climber up there and start climbing, which the reason is just that. you If you got up in a tree stand, you wouldn't be able to see anything because all the leaf cover. Mm-hmm. So you really had to be up underneath everything, like see through mm-hmm. it. And I mean, that's been my experience too. I mean, again, unless you're going out there and cutting huge shooting lanes and stuff, which to be honest, to me, isn't been very effective because two things, you know, you're disturbing the area. Even if you go in in the springtime, there's my thought. If you do it in the summertime, you know, you're probably going to disturb the area quite a bit. If you do it any other time or even that time, you know, you're letting other hunters that possibly are going through the area know that, hey, you know, if I see a trail cut or something like that, I, I definitely start looking up in trees. I'm like, where's the tree stand at? And uh, it kind of, you know, lets people know where if you're hunting off the ground, it's a little less, um, uh, what, what's the right word for it? It's a little less noticeable um, other than boot yeah. tracks, of course, but you know, you're kind of just being stealthy and trying to work your way around stuff to try to see if you can locate some deer. And I definitely think it'd be super effective during the rut. Um, again, if you could find yourself a, a couple different big travel corridors that you kind of like slowly ease your way through, I think you would have a ton of success doing that, especially if you want to incorporate, you know, rattling and grunting and this calling in general, uh, to the whole lineup. Plus you're on the ground. So you can actually, if you got leaflet around you, you can actually make the noise. You could grunt, rattle, and start kicking up crap on the ground and really make it seem more realistic than if you're in a tree stand. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. But, Andrew, kind of break down a little bit more about your hunt in general from, you know, getting down towards those islands and kind of what was happening. Okay, yeah. So, like always, my hunt did not start out as planned because um, – the wind, when I got out of the truck and started walking, the wind was supposed to be like straight east, which kind of like you said with your hunt, I, my, I was going east to get to my spot. So I was walking with my back into the wind, which wasn't good. But I, I get out there and it's straight south. So I'm like, okay, well, this, this isn't too bad. You know, straight southern wind. Uh, I can kind of, the wind's basically paralleling where I was planning on going. But it kept switching, like, from east to southeast, east-southeast. It, it was, like, just kind of acting finicky. And I get up to the first I, – I basically get up to the ridge top where I can see down into this river bottom. And I'm kind of – my plan was to get up there and glass the area and come up with a game plan. And I got up there, and there's, like, this big CRP field with a bunch of persimmon trees in it. And I'm like – man, there's a lot of deer tracks on this road, but I, I get out the camera, I do my first interview, and I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any deer up here. Um, you know, it's real hot, it's middle of the day, I think they're going to be down uh, next to the river on the islands where it's cooler and there's more oaks down there. I close the camera and I take like two steps and a buck stands up about 10 yards away out of a brush pile and just takes off, like wide open timber, stands up out of a brush pile, takes off. I was like, great. This is fantastic. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And uh, I'm like, well, I got the leaf suit. I'm still going to go down to those islands because I still think there's going to be a bunch of deer down there. So I start working down there. And there's a lot of cutover around that area. And the cutover almost goes up to the edge of the lake. And I'm basically walking the edge of this cutover. And there's just a beat down, worn out trail on the edge of that cutover. There's scrapes on every little limb coming out of the wood line. And I, I'm walking, and dude, it just absolutely smells like deer. It smells like a barnyard. And I, last time I smelled that, I found a great freaking spot, which someone beat me into and shot a buck at. So I was like, okay. Last time I smelled this, it was a good spot. So 
I kind of work through there. I'm kind of seeing what I can see, figuring everything out, and I get to this island uh, that's right on the edge of the lake, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to... Uh, well, okay, let me back up a little bit. When I was standing on top of the hill glassing down there, I could see the water, and I could see part of the channel in between the lake and the mainland, and I mean, in between the island and the mainland, and I could see part of it was dry, so I... um. My plan was to walk to the northern side of the island with the southern wind we had and basically work my way down that dry ditch and find the heaviest crossing I could or the one with the freshest buck sign and set up on it. So I get down there and I start doing that. And I don't get 15 yards down the side of this island and one stands up in the marsh. It's like kind of swampy down there. And a deer stands up not probably less than 40 yards away. And I can just hear it stand up. And... So we kind of sit there, and I can hear it shift around a little bit, but it never moves. And so, I mean, it's really just kind of a standoff for like 10 minutes. And uh, the wind picks up a little bit, and I'm like, okay, now's my chance to get out of here. So wind picks up, I kind of scurry out. I go back north, and I get to the spot where the, the island meets the mainland, which that ditch wasn't completely dry like I thought it was. It actually had a fair amount of water in it. So I was like, well, maybe... If that deer does get up and come out here to feed, it'll come out here instead of going, you know, crossing the ditch full of water. So I get up there, and I'm, like, hanging out and have some turkeys come by and stuff, which, man, I really thought they were deer, but <laughs> I got really excited. But there was some fresh buck sign coming out of there. I was pretty excited about it. But after, like, 10 minutes of sitting, I'm like, man, when these thermals switch, I'm screwed because I'm sitting right at the head of this island, and... The, the mainland comes down and it drops about 10 feet to the waterline and then that island is just right right there in the water and it's very low laying and it's not like a straight drop off down to the island but it's I mean it's probably you know 40 45 mm -hmm. degrees of a drop off so it's like a pretty steep hill going down there and for me to sit on the ground I had to be basically up on the mainland uphill all that but when i go back in there with the tree stand i'll be able to actually get on the island so when the thermal switch in the evening my scent will actually be pulled out over the lake if that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah so well, i was gonna say ahead. and it does and that's you know that's one thing that i kind of noticed too is you know you know benefit guys to ground hunting okay especially archery ground hunting is you find the spots that you can go back into with a tree stand, if need be, or a saddle, whatever you're hunting out of, and and kind of maybe be even more effective in some areas. Because there was there was a couple spots I found, which Andrew, I'd love to kind of hit on this right now, is like, you know, the benefits and the, the disadvantages that we kind of saw of ground hunting. Uh, you know, one true advantage is you know being lighter weight and being more mobile on your feet, uh, which is nice, especially during early season. When there is so much foliage and everything, and you can kind of like work your way around some stuff. It, it's definitely if you don't do it right, even if you do do it right, I mean, it can definitely be more invasive than just hanging a stand. But also, it, it you know, I think you could be a lot more effective. Uh, you know, I found a couple spots, you know, kind of a disadvantage. I found a couple spots that I think I could go in with a stand and still not be very high, only probably be 10, 11 feet off, off the ground, which is fine. And some smaller trees, but it's in a little opening on the downwind side of a thick bedding area that had a ton of trails coming in and out of it. 
and it was an opening uh, in the thick vegetation, about 30 yards, and you know there's a ton of buck sign in there, and it's definitely a spot I think you could have a lot of success going in there and rattling and calling and grunting, of course, uh, you know, in late October, early November, and probably have a lot of success. Um, now, I mean, in your experience, you know, what's your kind of advantage and disadvantage of ground hunting? So the disadvantage is definitely like. You, you can be pretty limited with your setups because, like I said, I had, like, my leaf suit and everything. But when I was sitting there at the base of that island, there wasn't really a whole lot of spots I could set up at and be really concealed because it's very, very open timber. So I could I could have got behind some uh, palmettos or I could have got up in some brush piles. But it was just kind of hard to figure out where to sit because, you know, that particular day we had gusts of winds that were kind of noisy which allowed me to like scurry out of there when that deer stood up without spooking it but at the same time most of the day was really calm and when I was trying to set up I mean at most I'm like 80 yards from this deer that just stood Mm up so I can't be making a bunch of noise breaking limbs trying to get up in a brush pile so I was pretty limited with where I could get so really the biggest downside to me is definitely finding like a good enough concealed setup where you know you'd think ground hunting you're like real open like you can sit wherever but in reality you need to find like a root ball or like a brush pile or just something that you can set up on that'll really break up your outline because even if you have a ghillie suit if you're just sitting up against a tree i mean you just look like a big old blob sitting there and they're gonna spot yeah, you. yeah guys so pretty much what andrew's saying is during early season you're trying to find anywhere you think there's a water moxin or a timber rattlesnake that's where you want to set up i mean <laughs> yeah that's right so you know not only do you need to have snake proof boots you need to have some snake proof pants a jacket gloves everything um that's like when I, my, my buddy Colton Sparks, back in turkey season, I was telling him, like, man, there's this brush pile we can get up in, and they'll never see us coming. And he's like, you're crazy, yep. dude. Oh, to be honest, <laughs> early season, yeah, I'm not – personally, I am not getting in a brush pile. That's just my opinion, though. Um, man, just, just like, whack it a few good times with a stick. He'll come crawling. Yeah, but there. then you're trying to be stealthy. And then you can kill him and eat him for dinner. Well – in case you don't get well, your let's deer. Well, talk, let's talk about, uh, let's, let's break off to my hunt a little bit, and then we'll get back to yours, because mine's actually totally different. I mean, I shot my deer, dude. I was pretty much in the wide open on a tree line, and, I mean, she they just came out. I mean, there's five or six does, dude. I snuck up within 25 yards of these deer. They never knew I was there. And the crazy thing is, this is the third, yeah, third time this has happened so far this fall. Uh, it happened twice when I was up in Missouri scouting. Uh, you know, getting within 25, 30 yards of deer, one that was bedding and then one that had just gotten up from bed to feed. And uh, it, even with the wind not being perfect, because I, I really do believe when I snuck out, because what I kind of did, go into my area, I was not able to go to where I wanted to go, guys. So I had to go to a secondary location. I parked on the side of the road, walked in. And funny thing, you know, guys I always joke about, you know, you know, Friends don't let friends use cat eyes or marker tape or whatever on public land. Well, I found well, I, yep. public land. Well, no I found a trail of some old cat eyes going in, and I was like, you know what? This is so thick and nasty. I'm like, I'm taking this trail. I don't care. So I took the guy's trail, and this trail definitely was old. Man, you sorry, sorry, little ginger bow. I'm telling you, you, man. So, you know, but anyways, got in there a little bit and and hunted next to the creek. And really, all I was trying to do is just get somewhere close to the water wait until the sun got up and it was light enough outside that I could really uh, 
see everything and kind of have a better feel of what I need to do and where I needed to go. And the wind was really going right down the creek, um, which I was going down the creek as well. So that, that was kind of the issue. Um, a- after a while, sun came up, nothing was happening. I crossed the creek, got on the other side, and the wind was blowing straight down the creek, kind of coming across my face. It was par- paralleling me to where I was walking, which I was thinking, you know, this is probably going to be a situation where I might be able to get up on a, you know, find a buck, find some deer, whatever, that are, you know, either working into the wind or cross the wind and, you know, get past their scent trail or, you know, work past them before they can kind of smell me and then get be able to get a shot. And that's kind of what happened. Um, after working through some pretty thick stuff, and the, the thing was, there was a breeze, but it was not windy enough, like when I was in Missouri, where you could just, like, walk and, like, you know, that the the sound of the the wind would cover your sound. Uh, it had just rained up here, so everything was real wet, which was nice. But you still had to be very very slow, very meticulous. And it took me you know quite a while to go, just a couple hundred yards. Um, but by about eight o'clock or almost eight o'clock, I came out to an overgrown field, um, which you know some of the grass was chest high, some of it was you know ankle high, knee high. And, and kind of worked my way out of there and into some of it. You know, I was trying to glass through there, and, you know, found a buck bed right there and, and found, you know, an area where it looked like there had been a buck uh, very recently. So that's what I was kind of looking for. And I went to circle this little peninsula that went out into the field and started working up it and just kind of stood there for a second, kind of looking out through this field. The sun had come up. And again, I'm facing uh, the west right now. And the sun's coming up over my back and I'm up against a tree line. So uh, while I was standing there, all of a sudden I caught there's a flicker of white just right off to my left. And I look and instantly I see a deer tail and it's a doe. She's like flicking her tail and kind of like feeding right there. And I kept looking and there was another deer and there was another deer. And they were in this patch of this taller grass that was probably, you know, waist high or so. And they were 25 yards from me. Turned out, I think it was five or six does. Um, and they started just kind of working around me. And the crazy thing was right when I had come out into this opening of this field, the wind switched and was blowing straight to the straight to the west. And I was within, at that time, probably 25, 20 to 25 yards of those deer. And I couldn't see them. They couldn't see me, but they never smelt me, nothing. And I don't know what that was. I don't know if the thermals were crazy. I didn't have any milkweed with me at the time. Um, so I wasn't able to document that. But, you know, the deer kind of came out, came around, and I decided, you know, the first for the first big doe, because I think there was one falling with him, the first big doe that came out and gave me a shot in some of the shorter grass, I was going to take it. That's what happened. So they kind of swung around and came out to 20, the first doe came out to 22 yards, I think. It was slight quartering two, and the grass was coming up about halfway up her shoulder. So I kind of held on the held on the grass line, tucked it right behind the shoulder, released. Arrow looked good, shoot light and knocks, um, and she spun off and freaked out and, you know, tore out of there. Um, but what didn't she make like some death? Dude, noise she like too? moaned, dude. It was like it was like a it was like a distress bleat. That's what it sounded like. Uh, can you can you imitate? Oh that man, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Should I? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, guys, just, just think of a think of a Primo's can call, uh, but like way way more like terrifying sound. Uh, like there was a there was a there was a video guys a couple years ago that came out of like a grizzly bear like a cub like trying to eat a mule deer doe in the back of someone's yard and cow- oh yeah yeah so whatever that. that sound was that that doe was making when she was getting eaten alive that's what this doe sounded like when I shot her um, and she spun off and took t- you know tore out of there but 
you know, the one thing that kind of caught me off guard was, you know, I was standing in the shadows. The sun was coming up over my back, over, over the tree line I was on, or really a brush line. It wasn't even a tree line. And, I mean, standing there with my full face mask, and I was worried that the deer were going to spot me because, I mean, I was kind of out there in the open. You know, there wasn't any tall grass around me, just whatever was behind me. Um, but I really do think staying in the shadows while they were kind of out in the sunlight definitely helped me because, I mean, they did look in my direction like while they were feeding stuff, but they never like looked at me and never were at all were, um, alerted to anything, uh, which, which was pretty, pretty cool. And it was, it was a really cool feeling just to be able to get that close to some deer. Uh, and then of course, right after I let the arrow go, uh, you know, pretty calm and collected. I called Andrew and Andrew was kind of, seemed pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was a little bit pumped up, dude. Yeah. And I dude, I didn't really get excited until after I talked to you. Cause I was like, dude, that's awesome, and uh, you know, I, I normally do get the shakes, even on a doe, guys. I just get excited. So I get doe fever bad, it, man. I get I get just as pumped up for a doe as I do for a buck. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, especially like off the ground. Like I was not expecting me to get that close to that many deer. Like, and, and I truly believe, dude, if if I didn't shoot those deer, like, or you know, that opportunity come around, and I kept work my kept working my way around the edge of that field, I think I would have had another opportunity at probably some other deer. Uh, there was just so much deer sign in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that kind of jumps out at me from like now that we're kind of talking about like the the details of both of our stories is how much like the terrain and like your the wind and just your position matters when you're ground hunting because. I mean, it makes a big difference when, of course, you know, you take wind in consideration however you can. You know, like neither of us were walking in with ideal wind situations, but we both made them work. Um, But then also like the sun, keeping the sun at your back, that's a big thing because it can be a lot harder for them to spot you if they got the sun in their eyes. But also using the terrain um, because kind of the last part of my hunt – when I, I went back up to the first spot where I ended up jumping the buck because I was like, well, he didn't seem too spooked. I mean, maybe he just didn't really know what happened because he really just stood up and kind of like jumped two or three times into the thicker area and really just stood mm-hmm. there and then kind of walked off. So I don't think he really knew what happened. He might have been asleep when I walked up on him. Uh, so I was like, well, maybe I can go back up there. So I'm, I'm walking up. I'm walking down the dirt road, and I look down on my boot track, I'm next to the CRP field again, by the way. My boot track has a deer track in it. So I was like, oh, my God. Totally should have sat up here, screwed (laughs) up. And I look to my left, and there's a buck standing like 60 yards away in that CRP field facing away from me. So I drop down, get my binos on him and everything, and he's facing straight away, and he basically walks up next to this persimmon tree and beds down. And he's like 60, 65 yards, and roughly halfway in between us but maybe a little bit closer to him there's like a a fallen tree in the side of the field so i drop my pack and everything and get my bow and i start crawling through the grass dude i start crawling up there stalking him and i get to that deadfall i'm like okay he should be about 30 yards now i knock an arrow and i slowly stand up and get in position and i start waiting and uh long story short i sit there for a little while he ends up being about 10 yards closer than i thought he was so he's only 20 yards away but there's a small ditch in the middle of that crp field that i didn't notice and he was actually bedded in that ditch and he stood up and if he had come to the left i would have had like a perfect like between 15 and 18 yard shot at him broadside but he stood up and went to the right and basically went uphill 
and just never presented me a shot at all. But he was a pretty good buck, and now I know he's there, and I didn't spook him, so now I can get back in there and hopefully make something happen. But when I was stalking up to him, you know, you have to be conscious of every single thing going on, whether it's, you know, the noise that you're making, the noise that he might be making if he's getting up and moving around, um, like the birds that might be... Uh, like alarm calling or whatever you know like a like a blue jay will like basically do like an alarm call when they see something weird uh just stuff like that and i was trying to stay in the low spots of the field i was going really slow i was trying to lay down the grass with my bow before i crawled over it so i wasn't shaking it Mm -hmm. too much so like rather than like plowing through the grass that was like you know chin high almost i was like laying it down slowly and then crawling over top of it that makes sense yeah exactly and again it's all about just trying to be as stealthy as possible moving way slower than you think you should and really being a lot more uh prepared mentally for you know what might happen and really you're you're focusing on a lot of things at one time like you said you know you're focusing on you know not stepping on this you know certain sticks like you're not trying to pop any noise You're, you're focusing on what sounds are around you you're focusing with your eyes too constantly looking around without making a whole bunch of movement to look for a sign of a deer, whether it's an ear, a nose, you know, a leg, just whatever you can find in the timber, you know, that's what you're kind of looking for. And that's what happened to me. You know, if, if it wasn't for me standing there, dude, in this one spot, and it's kind of like looking around, like I didn't even pull my binos up. I was just looking for movement or just a flash of white or something. And just happened to see that flash of white just off to my left to let me know those deer were right there. I mean, right there in front of me. Um, I mean, that was huge. Because, again, if I was kind of, like, in the in the mood, like, oh, like, had a destination I was really trying to get to, I think I would have blown past all of it and probably blown the deer out or just walked past them. And then they never knew I was there, and I never knew they were there and lost an opportunity. Um, but a, a little bit more about that hunt, guys, because I know, you know, I had we had a pretty uh, decent amount of uh, congratulations on me shooting that deer. And, you know, I was super pumped about the shot and everything. Felt really confident about it. Um I'm shooting a, a fixed broadhead, uh, excess broadhead, super sharp head, you know, flies super true on my bow, and ha- just have a lot of confidence in that setup. Uh, once I got to the spot where I'd shot the deer, all I found was the back three inches of the arrow, you know, the knock fletchings and about an inch and a half or two inches in front of it. Uh, and that was it. And it, it was covered in blood. Um, again, it broke off the shaft. A little bit, a couple bubbles on the fletching, but nothing, nothing, you know, major, nothing massive. Um, also at the shot, there was one chunk of meat that was the size of a quarter, okay? And then a, uh, about the size of a quarter as well of like some dark, kind of coagulated blood, like almost like, like mucus. Um, it's kind of how to describe it. It was all bunched up. And that definitely didn't make me feel very confident in like what had happened. So after not finding any blood at the hit site, you know, I circled back around the edge of the field where she ran into the woods and kind of started looking right there. And that's where I found the first, you know, true, true blood. And there was a big spot where she definitely didn't stand there. She took straight off, but she must have dropped, you know, quite a bit of blood right there after she filled up a little bit. And uh, it was a super bright red, no bubbles, no guts, nothing on it. And um, anyways, kind of, kind of left me puzzled for a second. And I thought I had lost the blood trail for a little bit. Called a, a buddy of ours who gave me contact with two different guys that had dogs. So I wanted to bring a guy out there with a dog uh, to help me track the deer. Um, got in touch with Jason Bauer uh, and was having him come out there to come help me track it. But finally got back on the blood trail. Uh, she went a different direction from where I thought, which was kind of the whole theme of this whole track job is 
everything that I thought she did, she did the complete opposite. Um, so she, instead of like going straight into the tree line and going down towards the creek, she hit the tree line and went straight down the field edge for about 30, 40 yards. And then she cut in. So followed the blood until I lost it. She went down to the creek, lost it, backed out, got back across the creek, started hiking back down towards the, towards the car. And I got down, you know, 100 yards down the creek and just happened to look down and there was a freaking pile of blood where now looking back at it, I think it might have been where she was bedded at. So she had actually done a loop from where I had shot her. She crossed the creek and ran back up the creek towards where my car was parked. And I guess we crossed paths and I, I walked upon possibly where her first bed was. Um, so wait, well, you think she bedded and you bumped her out of her bed when you were on your way back? That's to the car? what it's now looking like, in, in my opinion, yeah. because of how okay. much blood it was there, and it looked like it was kind of pressed down. It wasn't like she had just been standing there. It looked like it was kind of was pressed down, and you know there was a ton of flies on it. Um, but again, no guts, nothing. It was just super bright red blood. Um, again, you know some of it was kind of like Andrew. You know, you talked about you know, it was kind of jelly like, and then some of it was you know just straight, you know, watery blood, uh, which was kind of interesting. I mean, definitely, you know, some of it was clotting, but saw that instantly marked on, my, marked on the maps and started tracking her from there just to see where she had gone and got like 30 yards, lost blood again. I backed out, went back to the car, waited on Jason to come. And, uh, you know, Jason pulled up and kind of talked to me. We, we called in the TWRA. Uh, you get a call in uh, when you have a dog out there. And I uh, called that in and kind of told him about the rules and everything. Did a little interview with him and his dog, uh, Eva, which is, she was a great dog. And uh, went out there and Jason actually does this for a full-time living. So he he uh, breeds dogs, runs dogs, and tracks in the, in the fall full-time. And he did 178 tracks last year um, with his dogs. So this dude definitely is extremely experienced. You know, he he's seen the ins and outs. He's seen pretty much anything imaginable happen uh, while out there on a track job. So after kind of showing them photos and everything and explaining the situation, you know, uh, they have the office on in the background. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just heard that. I was like, I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> got me, got me a sidetrack. So Andrew, yeah. see, guys, they're having a party. Andrew's, Andrew's just, you know, in his office is doing his thing with the podcast. Yeah, yeah, office. That's office is a strong poor, word. Poor. But, but hey, before you, before you go on, <clears throat> I want to kind of say, like, you sent me some pictures of like the arrow, and I'm like, man, I don't know, because the arrow looked. I mean, pretty good. I mean, it was really hard to tell, but I'm like, well, I mean, you got like 25 inches of penetration, yeah. it looked like. But, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, but then you sent me the picture of the blood on the leaf, and instantly I was like, that looks like brisket. Straight up looks like brisket. Um, it's like kind of, it's it's almost like like if you, this is like kind of a weird analogy, but if you took like dark blood and mixed like milk with it that's almost what like that brisket blood looks like like you'll see like parts of the blood are like a little bit wider than other parts and it's to the touch usually you know like you said you'll get some of it that just feels like blood but then you'll get other parts that are like really really slick almost like Mm -hmm. oily and that's from the fat that's in the brisket and when you sent that to me you could see the like the edges of the blood were dried and then like the middle of the blood where it was still like wet seemed like really, uh, I mean, like you said, kind of jelly like, like it's yeah, all very, 
it's all conglomerated yeah. right there. It's like all mm-hmm. together, and you could just it had that sheen to it. It just looked like a little bit thick and a little bit oily. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, man, that looks like brisket. But the way you described it, I'm like, I don't know how you could hit her in the brisket and not like get some get some like lung or something in there because you said she was quartering too a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we we kind of get to that. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So. You know, after I got back to the truck again, I was talking to Jason, and we kind of went over the rules and everything, because uh, their rules are definitely different up here than they are back home. Like, back home, dude, you can run a dog without a leash, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, keep it within eyesight. Again, it's pretty much the basic rule. I don't know, you know, someone's actually on the uh, Alabama Blood Trailing Network. Don't get mad at me if I totally botched that. But uh, up here, they have to be on a 20-foot leash, or 20-foot line, I think that's what they call it. Um, also, if we bumped up on the deer or ramp on the deer, and she jumped up and took off running, he would have to take the dog, him and he, he Jason and the dog would have to get out of there, uh, out of, t- I think he said 200 yards before I could, like, go follow the deer and uh, go shoot her. And if she was mortally wounded but she was still alive, he would, again, have to take the dog out 200 yards before I could dispatch her. Um, so, that, again, that was kind of something good to, good to know about. Uh, but again, guys, you know, another reason I brought the dog in, you know, we were finding okay blood, but I really just wanted to have a dog in there to kind of help seal the deal, quote unquote, to really help me locate this deer in a little bit quicker manner just because of how hot it was outside. Uh, by the time, uh, Jason had gotten there, it was about an hour, hour and a half after I'd shot the deer. Um, and we start, you know, pushing in a little bit, go back to the last spot we had found blood where I think is where she was bedded. And... Again, just looking at the blood, I'm like, dude, this deer has got to be dead. You know, I've tracked deer similar to this and, you know, normally always found, you know, you know, found him within 100 yards or so. And, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, this shouldn't be a, this shouldn't be a problem at all. Well, we start tracking and the dog, we start like working up this ridge and it starts swinging back to the, let's see, to the west, which is kind of where the deer came from. And I was like, you know, we got probably, you know, 100 yards into it. And, we, you know, we were finding a little, we found a little bit of blood. And I told him, I was like, hey, I don't, I'm like, you know, we're heading back down towards, like, the direction where I shot the deer, even over on the other side of the creek. I'm like, I don't know, you know, what, well, you know, really what happened. And the dog kind of, like, you know, was on the trail pretty hot. And then she kind of, like, it kind of went cold on her. And she swung back down and went back down, circled back down to where the blood was at the first time. Uh, where we had found her, where I think the bed was. And we were kind of puzzled about it. And, uh, you know, he's worked with this dog for a few years now. And, you know, we kept smelling something. The smell is kind of musky in that area. So we pushed through it again, took the dog, and we went farther down the creek and started working down and swung back up into the wind. And we found where she had crossed the creek, which was literally right where I lost blood uh, on the side I shot her at. Uh, So she had crossed right there. She came across the creek. And from what the dog was saying, it looks like she had to run. Once she crossed the creek, she ran right down the creek, back up it to where she had possibly bedded at where I had walked up on the bed. And then what she did was she swung up on top of the ridge and then we lost her trail up there. Um, and you know, it was what he said was, you know, good tracking conditions. You know, it was, you know, moist ground, you know, there's a lot of moisture in the air. Uh, the only problem was, you know, the blood was kind of hard for us to see because everything else was wet. Uh, so unless it, it fell on like a green leaf or, you know, a very light colored leaf, it was hard to kind of tell, you know, what was blood or what wasn't. Um, but, you know, after about two and a half hours, we swung back up through there. We swung back through this big draw uh, two more times, thinking that she, that's where she was dead. 
dog never picked up the scent from her and we never picked and i never saw her we never saw her walking through there and that was pretty much it we kind of called it thinking that after talking a little bit more about the shot and everything and with his experience tracking so many deer before uh got the had the idea first of all she probably walked she got up on public or got up on the private land just to the uh the north and you know she could be up there bedded or she probably just walked across the either walked across the road or she's up there bedding and uh kind of talking about it we're thinking that you know talking about the shot you know possibly a, a 20 degree uh quartering two shot holding right there on the grass line uh, behind the shoulder that i possibly had a deflection uh air deflection especially using my fixed broadhead and had possibly pushed the arrow forward into the brisket and probably penetrated the brisket up front and either went below the heart or went right above the heart without somehow hitting the uh, you know the aorta or any of the major arteries or veins and kind of just pushed through. Uh, and that would explain a little bit why we had just a little bit of bubbles on the arrow but didn't find any bubbles in any of the blood. But it also explains why we wouldn't have any guts in it or any really dark colored blood. Um you know, if it was like a liver shot or, or a gut shot. Um, so it's definitely just something that's kind of crazy because the think that had that much penetration, you know, 25 plus inches of penetration, and the deer had gone for about a half a mile is what we tracked her for and, you know, lost track of her and, uh, you know, think that she's probably still on her feet right now, which is, you know, I hope she still is. I hope she can pull through it. And, you know, he told me about a couple different track jobs that, that had video evidence of a deer pulling through, uh, after having an error stuck in her um, while she was healing up. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things that kind of live and learn, you know, going back to the situation, you know, would I have done anything different? Yeah. You know, I think if I would have been a little bit more patient, um, which is one of the things I definitely, is, I've had, a, you know, it's my downfall is, you know, not being, you know, as patient as I should be. Uh, definitely just wild hunting, really in general. If I was a little bit more patient, she was heading towards, much shorter grass, you know, grass that was, you know, ankle high, uh, which would have given me a lot better uh, shot opportunity, at least with not having anything possibly obstructing the view that possibly would have caused a deflection. Um, but again, I just kind of rushed the shot. You know, once I saw her and I could see, you know, halfway up the shoulder, uh, you know, I, I felt comfortable with that. And, you know, definitely, I guess, made the wrong decision on it and, you know, kind of paid the price. Uh, but it's definitely one of those things kind of live and learn from. And that's actually – to be honest, that's the second time I've ever shot a deer. So I, I didn't say this earlier, but I have ground hunted before. The first deer I ever shot with my bow was off the ground. Um, kind of doing the exact same thing I did yesterday. Wait, just to clear it up, that's not the second deer you've ever shot. It's the second one you've shot off yes, the ground. Yes, right? agreed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. But, but the first deer <laughs> I ever shot off the ground, uh, which was probably eight years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago with my bow, uh, same kind of thing, quartering two, and the shot pushed forward, uh, which that I think was this where I was holding it, and I didn't, I wasn't able to recover that deer, and I was at that time shooting a, a mechanical broadhead, and didn't recover the arrow. Uh, you know, had plenty of blood, but you know, we tracked for tracked that buck. It was a buck for 200 yards, and then lost it. And that was the time I should have called a dog in because I think we could have recovered that deer. Um, but it's it's just one of those things, guys. Kind of live and learn, and kind of know what your equipment's capable of and what it's not and not try to push the envelope because uh, that never normally ends well for you yeah I, I will say we're right at time here so we got to shut this thing down but i will say about brisket shots you know if you're new to hunting 
or even if you're experienced, you know, a brisket shot can be really tricky because it can be hard to recognize. It can be hard to track. And, you know, I'll just, I'll come out and say two different experiences I've, I've had in the past with brisket shots. And uh, one of them was a doe that I shot uh, with a rifle, actually. She was walking through a field and I, you know, I was like 14 at the time, I think. I was using a 30 6 She was about 100 yards away. And there's this line of three does walking through my opening. And I got on the biggest one, and I got on her, and I basically set the crosshairs in front of her and waited for her to walk into my crosshairs, uh, which was a stupid idea. I should have got her to stop and, you know, put my crosshairs where they needed to be. But anyways, uh, I pulled the trigger too early, hit her in the brisket, and she ran straight downhill. She basically dumped off the side of the hill and ran. As soon as she got to the bottom of the hill... Uh, what she did was she hit the ground and basically ran with her brisket in the ground. So, you know, I'm tracking this, and typically with a brisket shot, you're going to find, like, quite a bit of blood. Um, not Maybe not right off the bat, but, you know, after a, a few yards, you know, sometimes, I think with that doe, it was like 40 yards later, I started finding a lot of blood. And I think it was the same for you with that doe you're talking mm-hmm. about, Jacob, where right off the bat you didn't find a lot, but eventually you started finding quite a bit. So 14-year-old me, I'm tracking this thing, and I'm walking down the hill, and boom, I start finding a bunch of blood. I'm like, oh, my God, she's about to be right here. And this is the first deer I've ever had, like, run on me. Because at that point I shot all my deer with the 30 out 6 and they just dropped, you know. And uh, she hits the bottom of the hill, and I find – this the spot where it's just dirt and you could see where she had rolled and there's just blood absolutely everywhere there's just blood all over the pine straw all over the trees like everywhere there's blood i'm like how is she not laying right here it looks like someone got murdered right here it's crazy looking and you know it's all dirt all the pine straws messed up and it just looks like you know it looks like a murder scene and but the blood trail goes away from it but now the blood trail is really 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 sparse and at the time, it was just after my dad had passed away, and I was hunting with a guy from our church who offered to take me hunting. And this guy's very, 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 very experienced, killed a lot of deer in his life. And I didn't know this, but he got down there and got to looking at it, and he's like, what she did was you hit her forward in the brisket. You know, that, that blood is kind of fatty looking. It's got a little bit of like a white tint to it. Uh, a lot of it's oily feeling. It's like very, very slippery when you feel it. And... What she did was she ran down to the bottom of this hill. When she hit the bottom of the hill, she hit the dirt and started rubbing her chest in the dirt trying to clot it up. And then she got up and she basically walked off after she did that. And uh, that's exactly what she did. Um, and then another one was pretty similar to that. Uh, my buddy in high school shot a deer that was quartering away from him. And I basically think he did exactly the opposite of what you did. Um, he basically shot this deer quartering away and he hit it in front of the shoulder and basically only caught shoulder meat and the brisket and it exited through the brisket uh only found a piece of his arrow because what probably happened is it you know got half or three quarters penetration and the arrow's just kind of sticking through the deer and it starts running and it breaks off part of that arrow and uh we found the, the same kind of blood you know some of it's like dark just bloody blood which is from the shoulder and then some of it's like kind of fatty blood and you know you find spots where they just stood and there's like a big puddle of blood you find spots where they rolled and they're trying to clot it up with dirt and then you find spots where there's just nothing you know and 
hearing about yours, it sounds very, very similar to my buddy's buck in high school, where I think that you entered through the brisket and exited uh, basically on the shoulder, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, it was a, a very, very shallow hit where if the deer is quartering to you, you hit it uh, basically, like, this is hard to explain, but if the deer's on your left facing towards you, you know, slightly quartering to you, hit it on the left side of its neck, and you caught, like, a little bit of the brisket, and it exited front of the shoulder, just where you have, like, hide mm-hmm. muscle right there. You didn't, I don't know if you got into the chest cavity, but you, you probably hit it in the brisket, and it exited through that muscle, and that's where you got some of that just regular bloody blood, but then you also got some of that fatty mm-hmm. blood. And uh, that brisket's just so dense, and there's so much fat there, it probably slowed the arrow down enough to where you probably did get, you know, like 25 inches of penetration. Uh, but, you know, the arrow's just poking out of her shoulder. You know, you'd, I don't know if you got into the chest cavity at all, which you could have, and even if you clip one lung, she'll, you know, she could still live through that. A deer can live on one on one lung. That's a, that's a also a very confusing shot as a one-lung shot. Yeah. No, you're 100% right, and that's, you know, that's probably what happened, and unfortunately kind of, kind of learned from it, but you know, it kind of, you know, it, it was kind of fascinating because I've always wanted to work with a dog before and a, and a tracker. I've never had that experience before. And, uh, you know, definitely have lost opportunities on some deer that I should have brought a dog in instead of just, you know, trying to do it myself. Uh, so that's something that I definitely would recommend to anybody. You know, if you ever, you make a questionable shot on the deer, uh, you know, I would definitely highly recommend calling in somebody that, you know, is experienced, that has a good dog, that really knows what they're doing. Uh, if you live in Tennessee, there's the Tennessee Blood Tracking Network you can reach out to. Uh, they have a huge list of guys with each county they live in, and, you know, you can call a bunch of different guys trying to. And I'm pretty sure that Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi have those mm-hmm. too. It's like, you know, Alabama Blood Trailers Network, Mississippi Blood Trailers Network, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Super, super useful resource. Yeah, and you find, you find a lot of guys like, you know, you know, Jason's definitely a very professional guy that, you know, definitely, you know, knows what he's doing and, you know, has a lot of experience with it. You know, everyone I've even heard about that uh, has been called out before to help track on a dog, you know, has been very professional. So I think it'd be a, you know, a good experience to be able to have someone come out and just really help you recover a deer. Uh, and even Jason, now Jason told me, you know, I'm the first guy he's ever, or one of the first guys he's ever come and done a track job on a doe. Most guys, you know, if it's a doe and they lose blood, they just forget about it. But, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to recover the deer for the ethics part. Plus, I, you know, wanted to be able to recover that first deer off the ground. I think that would be kind of a cool story. But it's just one of those things, guys. You just got to you gotta weigh out your odds. You know, there's, again, kind of getting back to ground hunting. There, there's times when ground hunting could be extremely effective, especially if you're going to a new spot you've never been to before and you really want to kind of, you know, cover a little bit of ground and just try to see what the, the, the place, how it lays out and have an opportunity to shoot a deer. And there's other times that, you know, it might not work. But definitely – that spot, that area is very prone to ground hunting with archery equipment. And I'm definitely going to go back in there and do it again. Uh, and a fun fact, after all that had happened, and it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I drove to another part of public land uh, and actually got access to access some public land that you cannot access without private permission uh, to get there. So that that was super exciting, and the uh, landowner uh, seemed like she really liked me, an older woman, and had an absolute blast talking to her. And she's like, "Yeah, just come over anytime, not a problem." She's like, "I know your vehicle is parked over here anytime you want, and you can you know hike in there, no big deal." And I went in there, and man, the freaking deer sign 
was absolutely insane. I mean, got across the road, got into it, and dude, I mean, that, and talk about feed trees. You know, this spot had a lot of cedars on it. I found one, I found two oaks, okay? And I can't tell you what kind of oaks they are. Again, that's something Andrew can, a Andrew can do that for you. I have to bring him in there. He'll be my encyclopedia for all the plants. But, uh, <laughs> dude, there was, uh, there was no lie, 20 to 30 piles of fresh deer crap underneath this one tree. I mean, it was insane. And I'm like, I already picked out three or four trees in there I could hang in uh, and, and get some awesome shots, dude. I'm like, it, it was phenomenal. So uh, I'm going to try to go in there later so we can try to kill a deer, man. But, um, yeah, anyway. It's, well, we we got a we got a busy few weeks ahead of us. Um, I'm going to be hunting in Georgia this week, hopefully two times, depending on the weather. Uh, if, we, if we do get, like, a decent amount of thunderstorms and, you know, a little bit cooler temperatures, I'll definitely be over there twice. Um, and then I'm going to be going up to Tennessee to hunt with you. So I think we finally figured out that I'm getting a Tennessee license. So we'll be hunting Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and maybe Arkansas, but it's still, you know, up in the air. But other than that, we're updating our YouTube channel quite a bit. I just got my first Georgia hunts up on that YouTube channel. Going to be having some more coming out this Wednesday. Also, uh, two of our guys, two of our team members we got filming for us have already killed bucks uh, on camera, so we're going to have those coming up. And Jacob's hunt that we just talked about uh, with the tracking dog and stalking the doe and everything will also be up very soon. So be watching the YouTube channel. And uh, other than that, Jacob, do you have any concluding thoughts? Uh, nothing else, guys. I mean, definitely go out there, try uh, a little ground and pound action on your local public land or on your own private land and try to give it a try, see how it goes for you. Also, guys, uh, if, you, if you really enjoy the podcast and what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. We really would appreciate it. Also, make sure you give us a uh, like and follow on Facebook and Instagram if you're not already doing that. Uh, we definitely have a lot of cool things coming up this fall that I think you're really going to want to be a part of. Uh, so definitely check that out. And also, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, and then just, again, stay in touch with us, guys. Uh, we appreciate it. And also, anybody that's going out hunting, in the states of Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi's coming up, Georgia, North or South Carolina, uh, please reach out to us on social media. I'd love to have you on for the Buck Report. Uh, again, we drop that every Friday. So uh, if you want to be part of the Buck Report, please just reach out to us on social media and we'll get you involved. Uh, other than that, man, I, I appreciate it, Andrew. And uh, I think today was a, a fun episode, kind of live and learn from mistakes that we've made. And again, we talk about that all the time that, you know, we're going to make mistakes and man, look at this opening day of season, making mistakes. I'm telling you. (laughs) It's part of it. Mistakes are how you learn though. But, uh, we'll, we'll be back at you this Friday with the buck report and then Monday with a new episode, uh, which is going to be a good one. So y'all stay tuned to hear it. And, uh, with that being said, let's get out of here. Awesome. All right, guys, make sure y'all wear your safety harness and have a great week.
you guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.